0: Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was probably one of the best preachers of the 20th century. I've quoted him a number of times, so it's probably known to you. Uh, but Martin Lloyd-Jones was once uh, the physician to the queen. He was a medical physician, then he became a pastor. He is Let's just put it this way. He's not a lightweight theologically, nor is he a lightweight in the way he goes about his preaching or the way he goes about his life. But he said this, Of all the activities in which the Christian engages and which are part of the Christian life, there is surely none which causes so much perplexity and raises so many problems as the activity that we call prayer. Now, that's Martin Lloyd Jones. That's not somebody who's kind of struggling to mature in their faith. That's not somebody who is a new Christian. That's the great, they called him the doctor, the great doctor two times over, the theological doctor and the MD who says, look, of all the things that we have in this Christian life that we're supposed to be doing, what's the most perplexing, the most confounding, the most difficult, is this thing that we call prayer. And so when I say to you last year we read all through journey through scripture we focus on that. This year we're going to focus on exploring prayer. The first task at hand is for you to recognize what rises up in your heart when I say all year long we're going to explore prayer. What happens in your heart? I feel guilty. I should be doing it more. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not equipped. I don't know what to say or what not to say. I feel like my prayers hit the ceiling and just bounce right back. I've never seen God answer one of my prayers. I've been praying for my uncle for the last 20 years and nothing's ever changed. Hey, if God already knows everything, why pray anyway? If he's providential, as he's completely sovereign, if he's gonna work all things according to his will, why go through the experiment? of this whole thing called prayer. And I've read Richard Dawkins' book and I saw the study that they had a case group of 100 people that prayed for patients and a case group of another 100 that didn't pray. It didn't look like there's any change. I read that study. Uh, I know I'm supposed to be praying but I don't know what to do about it. I feel like a failure. One person after the first service said, you know what happened in my heart when you said that? It was longing. I longed to pray. I long to be somebody who longs to pray. Okay, so let me just pause there because this is not you listening to a sermon. This is interacting. When I say we're going to explore prayer, what happens in your heart? we got to figure that out first. What arises? What are the barriers? What are the obstacles? What are the fears with this very simple thing that we call Prayer. You know, it's interesting. There's so many obstacles to prayer. We even find it to be a, a cultural obstacle. For whatever reason, prayer has located, geographically located itself itself in a, in a place uh, of being an obstacle in football. And that's curious to me. But, you know, people will get fired for bringing a high school football team to the center field to pray. But yet, before a game, so many people go down to the end zone to pray. That never happens with, like, orchestras and choirs and plays and other things. It's kind of like just oddly geographically centered football for whatever reason. But when DeMar Hamlin hit the field the other day, and thank the Lord they cut away as he was going into cardiac arrest... And they had to you know, give them CPR for a number of minutes. You know what everybody's natural response was? Even the people that were nominal in their faith? Let's pray. Matter of fact, you might have seen what Dan Orlovsky said in the middle of ESPN, which is not exactly known for being a conservative juggernaut, right? Uh, in, in ESPN, in the middle of that, he said, Look, I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I, I just want to stop right now and pray. And nobody said anything about that. They just let it happen. And even the executives realized now, we can't, we can't touch this. So many people said, we this is out of our realm of expertise. Medically, we don't know what to do, so we've just got to pray about it. It was like this natural response of so many people who felt helpless and out of control. I even saw a sports broadcaster who said on air, these are the times of my life that I wish I had faith. They said that. These are the times of my life I wish I had a God I could pray to. These are periods of my life where I feel completely lost because I don't know who to go to for help. He said that. And the other people uh, on the show were just like, yeah, we get it. This longing for prayer, this longing for connection. And so how do we begin exploring prayer? Well, we're going to begin this way with the Lord's Prayer. But I'm actually going to spend more time on the surrounding of the Lord's Prayer than I am on the actual prayer. Two points, there's three total, but there's two points uh, that I'm going to give to you initially. I'll save the third. Number one, we don't pray to be seen. Number two, we don't pray to be heard. Uh, Matthew chapter six, verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, and the father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pause there. It does not say for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Like, you know, that's not part of scripture, right? It's just part of Christian tradition that we put that in. So now, you know, hope I didn't ruin it for you, but there it is. Verse 14, for if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Number one, don't pray to be seen. This is a beautiful picture of what's happening. Because here Jesus is instructing his disciples. And he says, and when you pray, don't be like those hypocrites. Now, maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you've thought, you know, there's things about Jesus that I like. Uh, There's things about Christianity that I'm attracted to. Uh, These aspects of love, these aspects of mercy, of worshiping a God who's there and who knows me. But Andy, I just, all the hypocrites... Like I've got Christian friends and I look at their accounts on Twitter and they're just so mean. I just can't deal with all the hypocrites. Well, here's good news for you this morning. Jesus doesn't like the hypocrites either. (laughs) And he wants them out too. And there's also convicting news, which is this. At the end of the day, we're all hypocrites. At the end of the day, everybody in this room, at some point in their lives, we're going to say we're going to do something and not do it. Or say we have a priority and it's not our priority. Or say that we're something and not be able to uh, maintain that thing. Or have a standard of living. It might not even be a standard that comes from the Bible. But a certain standard and moral of living that we think everybody should abide to. But we don't abide to it. At the end of the day, we're all hypocrites. And here Jesus says, don't be like these hypocrites. They pray with one eye open. One eye to heaven. And one line to all the people in the synagogues, in the street corners, parlaying their Christian beliefs into some kind of moral clout that they think will make them look good and feel self-righteous. It's more about them than it is about God. It's more about who they are than it is about worshiping Christ over and over again. And it says they have their reward. now. Interestingly, Jesus is not against public prayer. There's many public prayers in the Bible. Um, but there is an aspect where prayer is also private. Look at what it says at the, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. What does that mean? Prayer is an invitation to Intimacy. Which is why we so often don't like it. Because you know the things that you've done that you, you're, you don't quite feel forgiven for yet. And, and you know the secret sins and you know uh, your fears and you know your temptations. And we just still have a hard time believing that his mercy is actually more. And because of his mercy, because of the throne of grace, we can boldly approach him in our times of need. We still have a hard time with that. So we kind of stay away because prayer is this invitation to intimacy. It is both public and private. Now I want you to think about your best friend. It could be your spouse. It could be a kid from high school. It could be uh, your college roommate. It could be your sister, your brother, could be your parents. Think about your best friend. In conversation with your best friend, you're going to have both public conversations and you're going to have private conversations. For example, uh, Elizabeth, my wife, uh, we're going to have public conversations, and you're going to watch us have those public conversations. And if they go awry, you're going to tell the session something's up, right? Like if every time in the foyer, I'm like, why didn't you get here on time today, woman? I can't imagine ever saying that to my wife. If you... (laughs) If you know Elizabeth, that would be the end of uh, me. I would not exist. Uh, The best I could do is pray for a quick death. Um, But it would not go well. But if I did that over a period of time, you would eventually say, man, the public conversations seem harsh. But no matter what happens in public between Elizabeth and I, we have private conversations that you'll never know. And nor should you, right? There's an intimacy, there's a part of prayer that we share vulnerably behind the closed doors. God, these are my longings in my marriage. These are my longings in my life. Here's where I feel like a failure, all of these things. And then, of course, there's public prayer as well, but it's this beautiful invitation to intimacy. Now, let me go through this point. Don't pray to be seen. Why? Because you're already seen, Remember Abram and Sarai? This was before they were Abraham and Sarah. Abram and Sarai, they were promised to be the father of the nations, that they were going to have kids and look up at the stars of the sky, and they were going to have descendants like the stars in the heavens. But here's the problem. They couldn't get pregnant. Now, these are, these are real people. So just imagine being promised by the Lord, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven, and you think, we can't get pregnant, God. God, is this some kind of cruel joke? I can't, we've prayed about it. We've done everything we can to make this happen. And yet you've promised it and nothing seems to change. God, are you just kind of manipulating me uh, around this? And so they took matters into their own hands, a little bit frustrated. Sarai finally said, hey, why don't you sleep with Hagar, that, that English maid. I mean, that English maid, that Egyptian maid. She doesn't know what's in English. That that Egyptian maid. And so he did. And she got pregnant. And then Sarai was filled with content. And she started to abuse her. Well, don't clean up the scriptures to look better than they are. So, because now she's carrying the child of the patriarch that she thought was promised to her. And so she abused her, and Hagar had to flee. Now, with no husband, no resources, an Egyptian, nowhere to go, found herself by a stream because she just needed some water, and there the Lord found her, and Genesis 16 had a conversation with her. And after that conversation, do you remember what she says? She said, you're the God who sees me. You're the God who sees that's a beautiful and scary thing about Christianity, that God sees you. He sees your pains, your struggles, your tribulations, your dreams, your hopes, your desires, your sins. He sees you, and that's why prayer is so scary, because he already sees you. Remember the woman in Mark chapter 12 all these people are giving their money and Jesus is watching them. I don't think he's watching them to find something, somebody doing the wrong thing. I think Jesus was watching them like uh, we learn in youth ministry and you learn in parenting. Try to catch your kids doing something right every now and then. Not just catch them doing something wrong. Try to catch your kids doing something right. Because generally we are what we celebrate. And uh, Jesus saw this widow coming up people were dropping in their wads of crash, you know, it wouldn't have made a sound. She has her two little copper coins, Could klink could klink That would have made a sound. Everybody would have known. She didn't, she's not dropping any dollar bills in there. She's just dropping coins. And remember what happened at that moment? Jesus brought all the disciples around and he said, everybody gather here. That was very rare for him to do. There's not a lot of times that he does that. Hey, Matthew, quit trying to get money from those people. Come over here. Hey, John, come over. Bartholomew, James, everybody get here. Come right here. We got a little holy huddle. What's the deal, Jesus? Do you see that widow? Do we see her? We see her all the time. She's here every week. She's always praying. She's been a widow for years. Nobody pays attention to her. Jesus says, All these other people gave out of their abundance. That one, out of her poverty, gave everything that she had. What was that widow doing? She was praying. Out of her poverty, because blessed are those poor in spirit, for they shall see God. That's a beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, right before this one. Her prayer life was an abundance of her impoverishment. Giving, not out of all the things that she had, but what she didn't have, saying, okay, God, here's my prayer. I'll trust you with these two little coins. And this instead of going down Jaffa Street and popping them in uh, the refreshment machine, what little I have for sustenance in this life, I'm going to trust you with. Because, God, you're a God who sees me. It's a beautiful thing when God sees us, when we can trust him with everything we have, when we can come to him and say, we need help. I just preached last weekend at the ski trip. We take our high school kids to a ski trip, and it was a, a, just a, a, the classic kind of ski trips. Uh, you know. And, and by that, here's what I mean. Vans broke down. Uh, a, a van ended up on top of the house, true story. Uh, We flooded a bathroom in like the first 10 minutes. We blew a bunch of circuit breakers, and it was awesome. I love that stuff. Because it's just like, that doesn't happen at like a session retreat. You know, everything's buttoned up. I'm like, oh, yes, let's put the van on the house. Now we have an issue that we can deal with. And so I always do a question and answer period. They give me about 50 questions. You know what one of them was? When do you ask God for help? And the answer, all questions. the time, all the time, we need to ask God for help. Even though he sees us, we still learn, like the widow, to trust him with the things that we're struggling with in life. Don't pray to be seen. Second, don't pray to be heard. Look at verse 7, and when they pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Uh, These phrases where we just try to manipulate God with words. And maybe that's what your prayer life is like. It's just empty words after empty words with this this hope in the back of my mind. If I can just string together the right amount of theology or if I can somehow string together the right amount of phrases then maybe God will listen to me because I'm pretty sure he's listening to all the missionaries right now but maybe I can break through that if I can string together the phrases and do all these right things and then maybe that's what prayer is about that sounds exhausting maybe you grew up Catholic you sinned and they say a hundred rosaries for you So you got to do a 100 of those puppies. Maybe I didn't grow up Catholic, but I grew up in a home where many times my mom made me write in cursive, I will not hit my sister again. I will not hit my sister again. I will not hit my sister. You know, 100 times, just empty phrase after empty phrase after empty phrase. Maybe in just a couple of hours you're going to sit down at the dinner table, and you're going to say, God bless this food to our service and our bodies to our nourishment. I I don't know the phrase. I didn't kind of grow up saying that. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about that if you say that this afternoon. But I just want you to think, what are you actually saying? You've got a time with the king of kings. And yeah, maybe it's God bless this food to our bodies and our bodies to the service. And maybe it's slowing down and say, God, actually bless this food. And actually help us in our bodies to actually serve you. Maybe it's just taking it a little bit slower from time to time. There's nothing wrong with routine or repetitive prayers. But maybe we're not trying to manipulate God. We don't have to pray to be heard because we're already heard. It's an amazing thing about who God is. Elizabeth and I were at a park years ago. Kate was like four, three or four. We were sitting on this little park bench, me and my wife. All the kids were playing. There was a ton of kids there. And one, of the, some kids started screaming. And I jumped up and she put her hand right on my leg. And she said, don't worry about it. That one's not ours. And I thought, well, they're still dying. Like we still need to go figure out like what's a problem is. But, but the amazing thing about that was in nanoseconds, the scream of a child, Elizabeth could Deferred, could understand that's not our child. Now, if a mom can do that, how much more can a heavenly father when you just groan in the middle of the night, when you just muster up any kind of emotion in prayer? Does God, our father, say, That's my kid? What do you need? Where are you hurting? Let me listen to your anguish. Let me listen to your joy. Let me listen to your praise. Let me listen to your adoration. Let me listen to your gratitude because I'm your God. We don't have to pray to be heard because we're already heard. But you know what prayer does is it, it lets us form ourselves to trusting who this God is. In, in John chapter nine, there's a man born blind. And if you remember the story, uh, he was kind of kicked out because they said, if you're born with this disability, either you sinned or your parents sinned. So he kicked out and he was a beggar. Jesus healed him. Then he started to get questions by all the uh, religious right of the day. And then uh, they kicked him out. And Jesus heard that he had been kicked out, John chapter 9, and went and found the man and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And basically, uh, the blind man said, "I, I do believe if I just know who he is. And Jesus said, the one speaking to you, it's he. And the man born blind said, Lord, I believe You know what's so beautiful about that? That Jesus was able to reform for him a narrative of his life. His prior life was this. You're no good. Your parents sinned or you sinned. You've got a problem. You've got a disability. And those kind of narratives start to form him. When Jesus heard about where he was, Jesus was able to form a new narrative. You're my son. I know you. Uh, I I believe in you. You can believe in me. It's a new narrative form, And here's why that's important. Because fundamentally, one of the things that prayer does for us is to form us. And you're going to be formed by something else, if not prayer. I read an article. It's an awful article. And uh, it went into some of the act- academic work of Jeffrey Bilboa and uh, some other scholars that are studying social media and its influences on us and uh, the social decision. If you've ever seen that on Netflix, you should watch it. It's very eye-opening. And the title of the article is this, I Lost My Mom to Facebook. And here's how the article goes. This uh, 30-year-old kid helped their mom get onto Facebook. And he said, since the day I got my mom on Facebook, she just grew more bitter, more angry, more self-absorbed, more isolated. She spent more and more time on Facebook and less and less time playing with her grandkids. I'm on Facebook, so I'm not saying it's evil. But here's what I'm saying. If you watch or if you read any of the scholarly work on social media right now, here's what you know. that People in Silicon Valley are smarter than us. And they know how to bring up certain algorithms to feed whatever it is that you think you want to see, which is going to make you double down then on your own belief system and create an echo chamber and form you. That's the way the whole gig works, right? And we're not even getting Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram. Those are other categories, but those are equally as dangerous. And those little algorithms form you. Well, what prayer is intended to do is to form you as a Christian, to create a new narrative in your life about who God is and about who you are. So very quickly, last point, this won't go long. Why do we pray? Third point, we pray to know God and to make him known. That's actually our philosophy statement. Why do we exist as a church? To know God and to make him known, right? Right? Um, Ms. Thomas Chalmers says it this way, prayer doesn't enable us to do a greater work for God. Prayer is the greater work for God. And when we come to uh, the Lord's Prayer, I'm not going to really go petition by petition because there's so many great sermons already on the Lord's Prayer. I wanted to spend the most point uh, setting us up on those first couple verses. But what we see which is striking is this. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Now, from Matthew chapter 6 this way to Genesis, there's only one prayer that could possibly be related to the Father. And it's when, in the Psalms, it says, God is the Father of the fatherless. That's the only one close. After this, every prayer that Jesus prays is in the name of the Father. Some 17 or 18 prayers. Every one of the ones he prays is our Father. Or father this, father this, father this. Except for one. you know what it is? There's one prayer where Jesus doesn't say, my father. It's when Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That God was, in Christ, disinherited, cut out of the will so that we could be grafted into the covenant so you and I, when we go to prayer, don't have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we can say, our Father, our Father who's in heaven. That's the privilege that we get to say, and let me just be very honest if I can. I'm a pastor, as you know, This is anecdotal, so I don't have hard evidence on this, but I'm going to guess in my own private prayer life, 80 to 85% of my prayers never make it past my Father. That's about as far as I could get. Whether it's needing wisdom in some session or whether it's feeling down or whether it's getting cut off in traffic in 85 or whether it's feeling like I'm about to have a panic attack at 3:30 in the morning or whether it's driving home and seeing a sunset where the sky just opened up and you see the sunset you say father that is awesome that's that's 80 85% of my prayer that's about as far as I get i have a father that I can cry out to who longs to hear my voice the other day i had to make a bunch of lasagna for um, a retreat and then a bunch for uh, the house and then a bunch for other people that we were distributing to. We had just sent our kids, our daughters back to school in Alabama. And for whatever reason, Elizabeth was gone, Daniel was gone. I was there uh, working in the kitchen all by myself. It's a hard knock life for me. And uh, my, my daughters decided to FaceTime me, both of them. It took me six hours to make that lasagna and I've listened to what they're going to do about their apple cord that they broke and their last experience at Bucky's, and uh, who they're planning to date that semester. And you know what a dad does when your daughter wants to talk? You listen for as long as they will talk. Now, if I'm willing to do that with my daughters, I got done with that lasagna like 2.30 in the morning, How much more does your Father in Heaven long to hear your voice, long to hear your pain, long to hear your adoration, long to hear your joy? That's basically the only thing I want to convince you of today is that your Father in Heaven loves you and longs for you. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know how to say or what to say it. Gosh, your your dad wants to spend some time with you. That's prayer 101. And he's also a dad who's powerful. Our father who in heaven, you actually have the power. You're not docile. You're not impotent. You have the power to change my life. Hallowed be your name. That's holy. And then look at what it says. Pray to know God as your father and then to make him known. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So it goes from past to present to future. God, you're our father who's in heaven. Now today, let me reestablish who you are and who I am. You're the father. I'm the son. I'm the daughter. You're in heaven. You have power. You're holy. Okay, but today I really need bread. I really need help with the test. My grief as a widow is so great. I don't know what what decision to make in business. I don't know if we discipline our kid for this or not. Just give the daily bread these things I need help with. And then the future. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then look at verse 14 and 15. Also talks about forgiveness. So it's like in this space of time where God teaches us how to pray, three of the verses are this. If you want to make me known to this world, go forgive somebody. Don't be outraged. And if you're harmed or you're damaged or somebody like does something wrong to you, the way you show the gospel is to say, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to forgive you quickly. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so let's close. Real quickly, here's what we're going to do over this year. Uh, this next month, uh, and two or three months actually, we're going to focus on a lot of teaching. So I'm going to do a long sermon series on prayer. Uh, Neil is going to do an elective starting February 5th on the barriers to prayer. We have women's Bible study journey groups focusing on prayer. March 5th, I'll give you um, on video a way to understand your prayer personality. How do you pray? Because we're all going to learn how to pray differently.